You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. He uh, said that he was going to make us into fishers of people, that we would catch people. Uh, We now know this was part of the big plan, that this was why he's called each and every one of us, uh, fisher out there. And that's kind of the idea with these fish, is there are fish out there. There are fish that are just waiting to be caught. And uh, last week we talked about how we were all once fish. If you are a follower of Christ, never forget that you are once a fish and that there are different types of fish and there are different types of uh, people. Uh, Everyone who met Jesus went fishing. It was just that simple in the Bible. Every person that went fishing, uh, I'm sorry, every person that met Jesus went fishing. Every one. We are designed for this purpose. Uh, Check out these verses. Mark 16. After he says, go and uh, you will catch people, he says in 1615, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This message series is called Move because it's a challenge for you to move, to get up, to not be afraid to walk across the street or to walk across that yard line or walk across the room, uh, you know, to, to move out of your cubicle, to, to walk to another desk, to, to reach out to that person on the bench. Um, we are designed to go, and that word preach, it doesn't mean like, repent, for the kingdom is a dear. You know, it doesn't mean like you are harsh and attack people. It means that you give the magnificent, great, tell that message of Jesus. It says, preach or tell, make known, you know, let people know, be a messenger of the good news, the gospel. Matthew twenty eight nineteen says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, that second part, baptizing them, tells us a couple of things. Number one, it says that there is an identification that all of us as followers, that we are baptized into a family. See, through Christ, we are made free into the body of Christ, into the family, but we are baptized into the body of Christ as an identification into who Christ is. And Jesus says in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, because it's important that we get our theology right, that we get our belief of who God is and what it means to know God right. <laughs> Looks cool. Uh, Uh, This is what's known as the Great Commission. Everybody say Great Commission. The Great Commission is uh, is clear in the Scriptures. This is the heart of God. This is what every follower of Christ has been commissioned to do. Co-mission. This is what we do. This is our mission together. Acts 1.8 says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That means I must share with those in my world. That's our daily missions. That means at work, in our neighborhood, at school. It says, And in all Judea uh, and Samaria. That's, uh, I dare you to reach beyond my world, into local missions, into the ends of the earth. That means I must care about the whole world. That's global missions. We're called to be mindful, intentional, and deliberate. And here's our response. And this is where we left off last week. Our response is simple. Our response is simply, here I am. Send me. That's our response. It's, here's all I have, God. I Here's my success and here's my failures. Here's my talents and here's my treasures. God, you can have it all. If it can impact one, if it can impact some, God, here I am. Did you know your failures are just as valuable as your successes in the kingdom of God? There's a unique role that we have. And uh, basically we're saying, I embrace my mission. So uh, here's what I want us to do. We're going to read one verse and then I'm going to start talking to you about probably one of the most important things that I've ever talked about. And that is we're going to have hopefully some clarity on what our message is supposed to be. This is what 1 Peter says. The Apostle Peter in his first letter to the churches, he says this in chapter 3, verse 15. He says, always be prepared to give an, uh, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He says, be ready to talk to somebody. You see, if you're living a life that reflects Christ, people are going to ask you, what's up with you? They're going to ask, why are you so different in your outlook? Why are you so different in your attitude? Why are you so different in how you treat people and how you love people? What is it? Be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. 
He says, but do this with gentleness and respect. I'll see a lot of times that's what we fail at. We, uh, we're ready to jump down someone's throat, but we are not very gentle or respectful, are we? Are we? No, we're not. He says, keeping a clear conscience, that means living a life that doesn't cause others to, to kind of condemn you. It means you live above accusation. He says, so that those who speak maliciously against you, uh, against your good behavior that in Christ, uh, they may be ashamed of their slander. That means that, you know, don't give them a reason to talk bad about you or about Jesus. Okay? So um, I want you to be ready. And today's message hopefully will give you some help on how to be ready. We're just going to let them fly around for a few more minutes. Is the shark still out there? <laughs> All right. He's, gonna, he's coming down. All right. We're going to let them fly around for a few more minutes. Here's what we're going to talk about today. To be effective in this, we have to answer. We have to settle some questions in our heart. Here's some of the questions. I'm just curious that if a person came up to you at work or at school or at, uh, in your neighborhood and asked you this question, uh, what, would, what would your answer be? Here's some of the questions. Is there truth? Does it apply to everyone? There's what's known as absolute truth. That means, is there such thing as a truth that's absolutely true for everybody? That's a big question. Because a lot of people say, well, it's true for you, but it may not be true for me. Some people will say, well, that's your belief system, and I have my belief system. And we got we have to respect people's opinions. However, if there is absolute true, then there is absolute false. And we have to ask that question, what is the truth? Is truth relative to each person? Is there such thing as something that is true for everybody? Uh, another question we'll have to ask is, is the Bible true? You know, oftentimes when I witness with people, I'll, that's the, one of the first questions I ask is, do you believe the Bible? And if they say yes, then our, my entire conversation is wrapped around scriptures because then they have, are confronted with what the scriptures say. They have claimed that it's true. But if they don't believe that the Bible is true, then what I do is I, I take a more historical route on who Jesus is and that he lived, he died, his tomb is empty, and people gave their life, uh, and they, they died a very tor- terrible, torturous death, proclaiming that they saw him alive. No one would die for a lie. No one would die for deception. And I talk about uh, life set free, and I use the Holy Spirit uh, with select verses to, to break through their heart. But we have to ask, is the Bible true? Does it still apply to our life, to this age, to our culture? If it's true, how can something that is thousands of years old be relevant today? Oh, look, they're, they're swimming together. And then another question we have to ask is, is does truth change? Because that's a big question. Uh, does it evolve? Does truth adjust to culture? Because that's a big question that the church is confronting right now in the United States. And that is, if the Bible is true and it applies to culture, does it change or evolve according to what's going on in culture or life? If truth is flexible to our circumstances, is it still true? Uh, And this is a big question. In John 18, Jesus was about to be crucified. He was arrested. He was standing before Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate took him aside. And he's like, you know, people are saying all these things about you. Uh, And he looks at Jesus and he says, what is truth? Jesus basically told him, you're looking at it. So what I want to do today is I want to hopefully shed some light on what is truth. And uh, remember, there is, if there is true, there is false and uh, because something cannot be both. Some might say, well, well, you know, that's your thing. Uh, there is no... Some say, how arrogant and bold for you to say that there is no absolute truth. Uh, somebody here in this room, you might even know somebody, maybe you yourself are going, how can you say that, that this answer that you're giving today is the truth? How do you know? And someone might even say, there is no absolute truth. And I'll say, well, you know what? You just said an absolutely true statement for you. And what you're trying to proclaim is something that you say is truth. And I'm saying something is truth. So one of us is wrong. So I want to challenge you today. Let the Spirit of God do something with you today. Because if there's true and false in life, there's true and false when it comes to God. There's true and false when it comes to eternity. There's true and false when it comes to the grave and what happens after the grave. They cannot all be true because they contradict each other. So let's uh, bring these uh, fish in. 
And uh, I think they were kind of working this year, this week. Last week I had another fish, a third one. I ended up giving it away. So uh, it's it's nice to see these guys swimming around the room. That was my goal. All right. So uh, here's what the question is. Who's right? Because we have different groups. We have atheists. And if you're not sure what an atheist is, an atheist is someone who basically says that God is a construct of the human imagination, of the human mind. It does not exist. And because that that is the position of an atheist, there see, tends to be cynicism or negativity towards those that, of people of faith, of any faith. So uh, some atheists are very negative. Some of them are not negative, but many of them are negative because they see other people as just being intellectually ignorant. So an atheist says it is an imagination of human beings. Then there's the agnostic, sometimes confused with an atheist. And an agnostic says that there might be a God, there might be gods, there might be all kinds of things, but no one can know and what's the point. That would be an agnostic. An agnostic basically is saying uh, no one really knows. We might have a God, but nobody knows. And then there's obviously false faiths, or that's what I would call false faiths, world religions. You've got Buddhism and Hinduism. You've got Taoism. You've got Islam. You've got religions of the world. You've got ancient tribal religions and, and ancient religions that aren't even practiced anymore. You've got shamans. You've got Native American mysticism. All these religions, these faiths from around the world, some of them tiny like tribal religions to massive organizations like Buddhism. Are they true or false? And then there's what are known as cults. And we're going to talk about cults primarily next week. I was going to talk about them this week, but I felt like we had to lay a solid foundation on a few truths before we dive into that. Next week, we're going to have an open Q&A on cults and world religion. So I want to invite you to bring somebody. Of course, bring yourself. And uh, we're going to answer some questions on cults. But what is a cult? Well, to the world, a cult is basically somebody that controls or manipulates people, but a world religion is a different faith. However, a cult in the Christian church is one that strays from the apostolic or early church faith and uh, someone that claims to be Christian, but yet does not follow Christian beliefs. So that's what a cult is to a Christian. It's someone who says they are Christian, but they don't follow the teachings of the apostles. So I want to tell you something. Truth is not a few things. Truth is not whatever works. That's called pragmatism, and that's unstable because sometimes even things that work are not true. Uh, Truth is not what is understandable because, honestly, sometimes the truth is not understandable. Truth is not what makes you feel good because if you did and believed in only what made you feel good, that will lead you down a path of self-destruction as it does many addicts. Truth is not what the majority says. Just ask Nazi Germany during World War II, during Hitler's reign. There's an entire nations of people that went down a very negative path in the majority. Truth is not good intentions. It is possible to be sincerely wrong. And truth is not something that can be necessarily publicly proved because often truth is a private decision that nobody can know about. For instance, maybe you know the truth of buried treasure, but it cannot be proved by me. Truth is not necessarily something that can be proved. Truth is not simply what is believed because a lie believed is still a lie. But the truth is, however, confronting. It is freeing, and at times it is offensive. So what I want to talk to you today is about the truth. Three things that you must settle in your heart before you proclaim with your mouth the truth. Because these three things are going to change everything about how you share your faith. So I want to tell you these three things, three crucial things are what I would call God's word, the gospel, and grace. Three G's that are essential for you to understand how to share your faith. So let's talk about each one of them. Let's start with God's word. Number one, God's word. By the way, these are each of these are three things that are lacking in the body of Christ. Why God's word? Because I believe that there is an incredible lack of confidence in God's word. What I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about lack of believing uh, in its words. I think there's a lack of people who believe that it is the truth. 
that there are Christians. Did you know there are surveys that put Christians, the majority of Christians, in a place where they are publicly saying, I'm not sure if the Bible is true. That's a lot of people, a lot of Christians. I think there's a real lack of confidence in the scriptures, whether it's true or not. We have to ask ourselves, is it an authority or the final authority? Is it a reference guide or is it the guide? How can we look at the Bible and think anything else other than what it says that it is? How we look at the Bible decides everything about what we think. So let's look at a few verses. Psalm 33 4, Psalm 119, Psalm uh, uh, 89, Psalm 119, 160, and Mark 13, 31 says this, For the word of the Lord holds true. He can trust everything he, that's God, does. So the word of God is true. Psalm 119 says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Psalm 119, 160 says, All your words are true, and your righteous laws are eternal. They don't have an expiration date on them. The Bible does not have an expiration date on when it all of a sudden becomes unrelevant or current. He says, your righteous laws or your word is eternal. Mark 13, 31 says, heaven and earth shall pass away. Cultures, fads, opinions, ideas, even our intentions, our desires, our creations, heaven and earth, everything will pass away. But the words... He says, but Jesus says, my words will not pass away. He's quoting two other Psalms where it says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God shall remain forever. In a world where the Bible is under attack, there are many people that claim that the Bible is fluid or fake or forged. And that in the midst of whatever the world says about the Bible, we must settle in our hearts If you are a follower of Christ, and if you're not a follower, then this is a a place to start. We must settle in our heart if the truth remains. Because if the Bible is true, we cannot pick and choose what we want to believe out of it. Because if it is true, it is absolutely truth. And we don't get to decide what we're not going to believe. See, here's, I want you to write this down when it comes to God's word. The Bible is God's claims to be God's very words. It doesn't claim to just be the ideas or opinions or thoughts of men, but the scriptures from beginning to end claim to be God's very, very words. Not only holy, not only one of many scriptures, but the very true words of God given through inspiration to very imperfect people. There's a verse there in 2 Peter 1.19 that says that the scriptures are designed by God's will, not man's will, given through inspiration. God breathed through men, and in many cases in the Old Testament, through women who heard God and listened to God. They were imperfect people speaking and giving the very words of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So this is important. We need to understand two things about that verse. It says, number one, this is the truth according to Scripture. The Scriptures claim that the Bible is truly God's words. And number two, this verse tells us we must properly know how to use it. We must properly know how to understand it, how to read it, how to put it in the contextual ideas of the writers. You see, we're not to read it through our eyes. We're to read it through their eyes. We read the Bible through through the readers of the letters. We read the Bible through the people who are the recipients of that Bible, of those words of the scriptures. When we read it through their eyes, we can then understand how it applies to them. And then we can apply those principles and those character traits and those issues that God's calling us to apply to our life. See, we need to remember when it comes to the scripture, it was written to them, but preserved for us. The Bible is God's very words. We must learn to rightly handle the word of truth. Here's an example. I have here a yardstick. And this is what this is what the Bible is. The Bible is a measure of rule. That means it is a standard by which all things are measured. And here's the deal. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you may not understand the Bible. You may not, you know, when you give your life to Christ, uh, you understand a few issues of truth, maybe a, a one or two 
inches of understanding of God's Word. But then once the Holy Spirit is inside of you, the Bible says that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit teaches us and reminds us and illuminates what God's Word means. So all of a sudden we begin to understand more of God's Word. But here's the deal, is that the Bible is a standard of rule for our life. See, a lot of us, we look at the Bible not as a standard of rule, but we look at it and go, you know what? This is just too long. This is too much. This is too far. And I can't live by that. I don't agree by that. See, here's what the Bible says. All of us, if this is God's measure of rule, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standards. We've all messed up when it comes to his measure of rule. We've all failed at God's word, but it doesn't take away the fact that this is God's word. It means that we are to now, through Christ, have power from sin, power to break free, to to live a life unto the word of God. But here's what we do. We look at at God's word and go, yeah, I believe this chapter. I believe this chapter. I believe this chapter. And you know what? It's just too much here. This is how much I want to believe. So this is how much I believe of God's word. And all of a sudden, What goes from God's measure of rule becomes our measure of rule. When we pick and choose what we want to believe and accept, when God says, you know what, you're not believing the whole truth, you're, you know, cherry picking what you want to believe. And when we don't take the whole truth as the measure of rule, we have something less than God's word. And oftentimes it's not even God's word at all. It's it's just whatever we feel is convenient. All of a sudden, serving God is not about us transforming into his standard, but trying to fit God into our standards. What I want to talk to you about is this whole idea of God's measure of rule. Second Peter 1.3 says that through the knowledge of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit, we receive everything we need to live a godly life. John 17.17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify yourself. That means he's talking to, to, to God and he says, God... Sanctify my disciples, sanctify my friends, sanctify the people that are following me. That means set them apart. That means purify them. He says, in the truth. And in case you're not sure what he's talking about, he says, your word is truth. You see, oftentimes when we cut short God's truth, we never truly become the sanctified, set apart, different person that God has called us to be. We have reduced God's standards to our standards rather than aligning ourselves with his life. Rather than putting God's word up to our beliefs, to our opinions, what do you think about so-and-so? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Let's measure it up to what the Bible says. What do you think about politics or this or about the culture war and marriage among homosexuals? Let's put it up to the measure of God's rule. Well, what do you think about, you know, sex before marriage? You know, well, let's put it up to the measure of God's rule. You see, the challenge is not about us finding our opinion. It's about finding God's opinion. You guys understand that that's what it means to sanctify, to be sanctified in Christ, to be sanctified by the truth. Jesus says, your word is the truth. Later on, he says, I am the truth. Of course, the Bible says that Jesus is the word made flesh. So if you want to know the truth, you need to know Jesus. And once you know Jesus, he reveals the truth of the word. You see, the Bible is a story of our journey away from God and God's journey to us. It is the story of God's views on life and his revealed character in life. It is to be followed and lived out. The truth given to us so that we might know him. It is not given to us to have a list of regulations. It is a love letter from a father to his kids designed to help us to know his standards so that we might, through the grace of Jesus, be set free from our selfishness and align ourselves with his will. That's why it says that the Bible in the New Testament says we must die to selfish ambition. That word ambition means like desires, opinions, and ideas. We must die to ourself and align. We, Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, he must die daily. Die to himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. See, the whole word repent that's in the Bible, that's a word that a lot of people don't like to hear. The word repent just means change of mind. I thought this way, now I think this way. That's called aligning your life with God's word. We 
repent or we change direction. That's what that means. First Peter 1.22 says, Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. He says, man, you've obeyed the truth. God's transforming you. He's turning you to great lovers of people. Love one another deeply from the heart. He says, man, live out the word of God. And then he says, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. What's this imperishable seed he's talking about? Through the living and enduring word of God. See, the word of God, does, like I said, does not have a date where it doesn't become relevant or important or culturally somehow old-fashioned. This is imperishable. It is a seed planted in the heart of anyone who will receive it by faith. He says, through that knowledge, that understanding of the word of God, he says, that's where you can be born again, have a new relationship with Christ through the spirit. He says, for all people are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. He says, you know what? Uh, the people who, the glory that people have there, the fact that someone's famous, the fact that someone is popular, the fact that someone has a powerful position. He says, their glory, they're like flowers of the field. But the grass withers and the flowers will fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. He's quoting Isaiah 40. He says, and this is the word that was preached to you. This is what you were told. This is what you were taught. This is what you received and now continue in it. He's talking about the word of God. So I want to tell you, when you put the word of God to the test, it stands against all scrutiny. Unlike any other scriptures that are presented in the world, the Bible has the history on it of, of, of life on its side, and it has the authenticity of its scriptures on its side. We talk about that in our uh, Living the Way course, which we're in the middle of right now. And when it's over, I want you guys, if you haven't been through it, to go through it because we have a whole several weeks where we talk about where the Bible came from. How can it be trusted? How do we know that what we have was meant to be there? Who picked the letters that were going to be in it? And what happened to all those that didn't make it? We talk about that. But I tell you what, when it's put to the test, it stands unlike any other scriptures. See, and I want you to write this down. The Bible claims exclusive truth. It doesn't just claim to be God's very words, but it claims to be the only truth. And this is the challenge for some. Second Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12, uh, Paul is challenging the church. He says, be aware because the devil, the enemy, Satan, he will try to lead you away from the truth. He will try to trick you and deceive you away from the truth of God. In reference to those that are denying the truth of God's word, the apostle Paul said this, this to the church in Rome. He says, there are some that have, exchange the truth of God for a lie. See, there are some people that have done just this. They've, they've, they've said, you know what? I don't want this. I want this. So they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. He says, there are some among you. There are some in this world. There are some in the church who've exchanged the truth of God, he says, for a lie. And they've worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised them. And he says, you know, people, they want to do what they want to do. They want to be with whoever they want to be. They want to go places wherever they want to go. And it doesn't matter what God's word says. They want to do what they say. They want to do what people say. And he says, when you do that, you are inadvertently choosing to worship people over God. He says, those are people that have exchanged the truth for a lie. 2 Timothy 3.14 says this. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you've learned it. He says, you know what? There's some of you, and I'm going to tell you right now, there's some of you in this room that are starting to question God's word. There's some of you that have received Christ, you've received the Bible as truth, and you're, you're facing a, a, a crossroads of whether you're going to accept it, believe it, or, or live it. And he says, continue in what you've learned. He says, remember who told that to you. Remember what you were taught. He says, verse 15, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. He says, even when you were a kid, you believed it was true. Don't stray from that. He says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What is able to do that? The Holy Scriptures. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed. That means it's God speaking through inspiration to imperfect people. It is God-breathed. 
and is useful for teaching. That means to teach us what is right and wrong, to teach us what is true. And for rebuking, that means helps us to realize areas where we are wrong that we need to change. And then he says, for correcting, that means it puts us back on the right course. And he says, and for training in righteousness, that means it teaches us what is right and how to live unto Christ. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means God's word does all the, you know, some of you, you don't read the Bible and that way you, that's why you're like throwing all over the place about what to believe about stuff. Some of you haven't read the scriptures for yourself. The only time you get the Bible is when you glance on the screen on Sundays and, and you're, you're questioning God's word, its truth, its validity, because you're not reading it for yourself. You're not continuing in the faith that you received. He says, man, when the word of God, it corrects you, it teaches you, it rebukes you. Some of you need to be rebuked about what you're believing. Some of you need to be corrected about what you are believing. Will you let the word of God do that for you? He says, and put you back on course so that you're thoroughly equipped. That means able to do things for God you never imagined. It's important to have confidence in God's word. It's impossible to to be a, a follower of Christ with conviction to tell the world without having confidence in God's word. I will say, tell you this, though. It's possible to have confidence and to have questions about God's word. It's possible. Doesn't mean that you don't understand. Doesn't mean that you understand everything in the Bible. You could have a lot of questions, but you choose to align yourself with it. You know what that's called? That's called faith. When we don't understand something, but we follow in it, that's faith. So there are times when we just have to, by faith, walk in God's truth. So here's the second G. The second G I want to spend most of my time on, and then I just want to touch on that last one. And that is this. There's the God's word, the lack of biblical confidence, and then there's the gospel. And I think there is a lack of gospel clarity. If someone were to walk up to you right now, I mean, we're talking about moving across the aisle, uh, moving across the street, moving across the cubicle, moving, you know, across the room to talk to somebody. If someone were to walk up to you and say, hey, tell me, how can I know this Jesus that you are a follower of? How can I know him? What would you say? How would you describe it? Most people, they go, well, come to church. Or they'll, they'll throw some, something together that may or may not be the gospel. You see, it's, you know, when you're a kid, you just sit in the car and you ride around wherever your parents take you. Some of you teenagers still don't know how to get home from youth group. And you're thankful that mom and dad or a friend has taken you. I've taken many kids home and they can't find their own house. And I have to wonder, are you, do you live here? Do you pay attention on the drive? Because that's what immature people do. They don't pay attention to the drive. You know, some of you, you've been cruising along in church. You've been sleeping in church. You've been sleeping through your life. You're not reading God's word. You don't know what the directions are. That's because you're immature. I mean, you're, you're just a kid in the faith. You know, it's time to grow up and have... Cl- See, there's a difference when you grow up between knowing directions and having been there versus living there. So there are some people, I, I know directions because I used to go to church. And then there are those that, you know, uh, know the directions because they've heard about it from a friend. But then there are those that know directions because they live there. And they're, they pay attention. They're, they know the guide and they, they're able to take someone home. Can you give directions to Jesus? Ask yourself that right now. Ask yourself, can you give directions to Jesus? This is a question to followers of Christ. If you're not a Christian, uh, I want to ask you, do you know how to get to Jesus? See, here's what we're talking about. The lack of gospel clarity. The word gospel means good, life-changing news for the world. So every time you see the word gospel, it means great, amazing, life-changing news. It means good news, but bigger than good news. It's life-changing news. It's based on history, and because it's history, it's something that must be told because nobody else will know it unless it's told. You won't know history because it's news unless you're told. You see, our life is what's called the show-and-tell life. We are to show the love, the grace, the mercy, the kindness, the justice of God, and we are to tell 
of the message of the gospel. See, some of you just think life is just a show life. Just be a good person. And then there are those that just want to tell everybody off, you know, to show and tell. To walk with Christ is a show and tell. So the gospel is good because it answers a problem. I want to make clear of the gospel. I've got additional verses in your notes for you to go home and read for yourself. In two weeks, I'm going to give you on on good on a Palm Sunday a, a, a message on the cross that hopefully will give you the ability to share your faith with anybody. I want you to bring anybody, somebody on Palm Sunday who doesn't know Christ and let them be confronted with the reality of the cross. And I'm going to give you a way how you can share that with anybody uh, through what we're going to teach on that day. Um, The gospel is good because it's this answer though, but here's what we're going to kind of cover today is that the gospel is good news because it's an answer to a problem. What's the problem? Well, bad news. We're all sinners. Everyone, everyone in this room has fallen short of the standard of God. Every one of us has fallen, no matter how good you've been, no matter how, uh, you know, wise you've been. I've never done drugs or I've never been drunk or I've never, you know, I'm still pure or whatever. No matter how good you are, you've still fallen short of God's standards because God's standards are not just actions of the, of the body. They're also issues of the heart. And we've all fallen short of God's standards, everyone. Bad news as a result of this sin that we face an eternal separation from God and punishment. Not just a annihilation, but eternal punishment. I've got some verses in the Bible there that you can look up. We're going to do a whole message on hell uh, later on in the year. But I want you to know this, is that hell is real. And because of the sin in our life, there's, there's kind of like two waves of hell. The first one is, is hell on earth, where apart from Christ, we're lonely, we're hurting. We have a hole in our soul that nothing seems to just fit right. We could have everything we've ever dreamed, but we still feel empty and we don't know what it is. That's because you're missing the core of who you were designed to be in connection with. The second phase is after this short, brief life is over, whether we live 20 or 200, it doesn't matter. This life is short. And the Bible says that those apart from Christ face an eternal punishment. You can take a look at those verses there. And that's why the good news is so good. Because good news, God came to us. Jesus died on the cross for that very reason to forgive and to redeem and to set us free, not only in the afterlife, but in this life too, because salvation begins the moment you bow the knee to Jesus. Salvation begins the moment you say, I was wrong. The word of God is right. That's when salvation, that's when life begins. And then when this life is over, it just gets better. See, that's the good news. That is the good news. For this reason, he came to die in our place, to take our sin and to prove that it was true. He rose again from the dead. He said, guys, look, here I am. I wasn't joking. I didn't just cover and conquer sin, but I conquered death too. So you don't have to worry about when you die because you get to come with me too. This is what Paul said to his young mentor, Timothy, in 1 Timothy, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You might think, well, you might think you're the worst. You might think you have gone too far, done too much, said too much, experienced too much, thought too much, handled too much. You might think you are the worst. Oh, you're not. And even if you were the worst person that ever lived, the grace of God is bigger, is stronger, is more powerful. And I love that. He says, Jesus came to the world to save sinners like me. See, while sin separates us, Jesus redeems and releases us from the shackles of sin and shame. That's the good news. You can be forgiven. You can be made new. You can be set on a different path in a different direction with a different life. That's the good news. It's not you are loved. That's part of it. You see, the gospel is good news because it's an answer to a problem. We are sinners destined for an eternal 
life apart from God. But good news, Jesus reconciled, restored, redeemed, forgave us. We can now walk and run with God. Good news. John 3.16, we know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We love that verse. Most of you already have it memorized, but we don't know the next two verses. The next two verses give us a, a very confrontational reality. It says this, verse 17, the very next verse, for God did not send his son. Jesus is talking, so he's talking about himself. God did not send me. Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He's not here to slap your wrist with the standard of rule. He's not here to line you up and go, yep, you failed smack. You failed smack. You failed smack. You failed smack. What a loser. Smack. What a pervert. Smack. That's, he didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. But this is what is a very difficult verse. He was on mission for you because your sin brings death and separation from God. He says, he says this, but whoever believes in him is not condemned. You see, salvation is something we must receive. It's not something that just automatically happens. Just because Jesus died 2,000 years ago doesn't mean everybody on the planet is saved. He says, but anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But, there's a big but here. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because they have not believed in the name of God's only son. He said, you know, we love that verse. God so loved the world. He didn't come to condemn, but to save us. That's Absolutely the truth, but that next verse says, if you believe, you have life, but if you don't believe, you're already condemned. You see, our sin separates us. We are already separated from God. We are already on a slippery pole to hell. We are already condemned apart from Christ. He said, if you believe, you have this life I speak of. You see, salvation is a gift we must receive by faith and a promise we must proclaim in faith. In the context of people's lives and physical needs, we meet people where they are, but the message must remain. Here's another thing I want you to know about the gospel. The gospel of Jesus claims to be an exclusive way. Did you know 70% of people believe that they are going to heaven? It's a lot of people. Only 3% In a national survey, only 3% believe they're going to hell. There's going to be a lot of surprised people according to Jesus. Because there's a verse, it's the great scandal of Christianity, a verse that confronts us. It is the theme verse of our church. It's John 14, 6. It says, Thomas asked uh, Jesus in verse 5, he says, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus basically had said, I'm about to be leaving here pretty soon because Jesus knew his time to go to the cross was coming. And they said, well, where are you going? Uh, we, we don't know the way. And Jesus said, uh, he didn't say he was a way, a truth, a life, or I'll show you the way or one of many options. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. I am the road. I am the path. I am the journey and the answer. I am the truth. He says, I am the truth. I am the word of God in the flesh. The answer to what you're looking for in life, that's me. I am what is true. He says, I am the life. I'm the only hope for this life and for the next life. He says, no one, no exceptions. Not a single person is exempt regardless of where you are on the planet, regardless of how you grew up, regardless of who or who did not hear the voice of God, regardless of who says otherwise. Jesus said, no one, no exceptions. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. You see, there's a little word that's huge. It's the definite article, the. I'm not a way, a truth, a way of life. I am the way, the truth, the way. And no one can know the Father. No one can can know this God, by the way, the Father is a who, he is a, 
is a person, not a principle. He is, he is a noble God. He is not a force. And God says, uh, Jesus says, no one can embrace, comprehend, know, understand, grow, or connect with God the Father without me. Acts 14, uh, Acts 4, 10 through 12, Peter says this. He says, and Peter said, let it be known to all of you. This is for all of you in this room. Let it be known to all of you that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified and who God raised from the dead, there is salvation in no other. For there is no other name under heaven. That means the universe, not just heaven. It means there's no other name in the universe given among men by which we must be saved. He said there's no other way. There's no other name. There's no other message. Well, that's narrow-minded. That's, that's intolerant. That's hateful. That's bigoted. That's arrogant. All the billions of people on the planet and Jesus, the only way? I can't believe. I can't believe it. This issue is something that is a great stumbling among Christians. That's why I said there is an issue of a lack of gospel clarity. We somehow think, well, if we don't get them, God will figure it out. They're a good person. They're trying. God will figure it out. You see, here's the problem. It's not so much that God is necessarily condemning them. He didn't come to condemn. He executes his justice because we are already condemned. See, he's a good judge. He doesn't let the guilty go free. And we're all guilty. And that's the challenge. He doesn't wink at us when we make mistakes around the world among tribes and people and nations because there's a problem and it's not something that a wink or just a, I got you here, is going to cover only the blood of Jesus that is received and applied to their life. Jesus said, I am the only way. Apart from that, you're already condemned. This is something that a lot of you in this room even don't want to believe right now. And that is why, because you don't believe this, that is why you don't share your faith. Because you figure God is good, he'll figure it out. He'll work it out. He'll save people even if I don't tell a soul. But Jesus said clearly, I am the way. Peter said there is no other name. The Great Commission is go. Tell them. Preach the good news. Get out of your seat. Get off your butt and go. That's the message of the Great Commission. We are co-mission together to get out there on mission. But we don't believe the mission. We don't believe the gospel. We don't believe this message of a problem that requires a solution. Instead, we want to believe that there is a problem that God, eh, the cross wasn't necessary. And it's not necessary to receive or believe. So as a result, we are lazy about telling anybody, even someone that's 12 feet away from us. You say, what if I don't believe that? Well, you are allowed to have an opinion that is fine. I will respect that. We are both welcome to opinions. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. It says, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. See, there are three views of salvation that dominate religion today. One's called universalism. One's called inclusivism. And one is exclusivism. Universalism says that there are many ways and that everyone will eventually make it to God or to heaven or whatever is out there. And then there is inclusivism, and that is people that believe that Jesus saved everyone through the cross and that there are many ways to that through other religions and other beliefs, and you don't even need to know Jesus in order to have it. And then there is what is known as exclusivism, where that is there is exclusively one way to salvation. There are a few religions that have exclusive uh, claims the scriptures of God are one of them. First Timothy two five says there is one God, one mediator between God and man. That is the man Christ Jesus. There's only one that stands between you and God. People are willing to tolerate any view except one that claims to be uniquely true. Only twelve percent of Americans claim their religion is right. Sadly, only. This is upsetting. Sadly, 57% of Christians believe that there are many ways to God. And if that is the case, then there are probably some of you in this room that believe that there are many ways to God. You have inadvertently broke the measure of rule into what fits your opinion or your theology or what you want to believe. And as a result, we have embraced a lie. 
we have an epidemic of counterfeit gospels. And I don't have time to go into these this week. I thought I was going to. I'm going to bump it to next week when we talk about cults and world religions. I'm going to talk about uh, this epidemic in counterfeit gospels. Let me explain. First John uh, 4, the apostle says, we are to test the spirits of everyone who's teaching. We must test the spirits according to God's word and the truth according to the true gospel. This is what Paul said to the church in Galatia. He says this in Galatians 1, 6. He says, I am astonished. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people, he says, are throwing Uh, being thrown into confusion or throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we said already, and I say it now, I'll say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse curse. He says, you know what? There's going to be people. We're going to look at verses next week where it says there are people in the body of Christ that are known as wolves that were counted among you who are now preaching lies. Paul says that there are people among you that are starting confusion. He says there are people even not just in the world, but even in the body of Christ that are leading you astray there. He says in the future, if I ever come back to you and I preach to you a different gospel, don't listen to me. Let God be uh, just with me and deal with me. Have nothing to do with them. Whether it's me or an angel, that means if some spirit were to show up to you when you were asleep, if you had some vision and, you know, took you to some hidden mountain where there were some secret scrolls buried in a hole and, and, and he translated some new truth to you and, you, you know, this spirit, which, man, you saw, man, and you, man, it was real. He says, if that spirit, even if a spirit says something opposite than the truth of God, have nothing to do with it, let it be cursed. I'm going to talk about some counterfeit gospels next week. Counterfeit gospels have a tendency to isolate and omit verses, leaving the gospel powerless. Second Timothy 2, 3, uh, uh, 3, 5 says that there are those among you that have a form of godliness and they're good people, but they deny the power of God. And then he says, have nothing to do with these people. Here's the last thing, and I want to end with this thought. And we're going to pray. And that is the three Gs. There's, we must have confidence in the gospel we must have clear uh, we must have confidence in the word of god we must have clarity with the gospel and we must have grace and i believe that is because there's a lack of authentic christian love there is a lack among christians in true passionate caring kind love we've been given grace freely and we are to give it away freely grace is getting what you don't deserve when was the last time you gave somebody something that they didn't deserve? When was the last time you treated somebody kind when they weren't kind to you? When was the last time you extended hope to someone who seemed hopeless? When was the last time you gave someone mercy when they deserved justice and judgment? That's grace. Generous. We are to be people who are generous in grace Generous in our actions, generous. We are to be loving, patient, kind, caring to those who don't deserve it. Our love should be greater and our, our giving should be greater and our serving should be greater. The Bible says when you are set free, you are set free to serve. This is what the Bible says, our last verse. I want to pray for you today. Galatians 3, sorry, Galatians 5, 13. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, We're called to be free. Amen. Aren't you glad you're called to be free? Free from the past, free from your sin, free from shame, free from guilt, free from from all the horrible, nasty things that were done to you and that you have done free. Man, we are called to be free. And then he said, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. That means don't, just because God has forgiven you, don't live like hell. 
He says, man, you live differently. You're called to project a gracious life of kindness and, and, and hope and, and, and mercy. But he says, however, this is what we've been called to. He says, we've been called not to indulge in our freedom, but rather to serve one another humbly in love. See, I think we as a church lack authentic Christian love. And that's why a lot of people don't want to know Jesus. You might have the right message. You might believe the Bible is true, but you are not a loving person. And as a result, you won't have their ear. So I want to say this. You can have boldness and courage in the truth and still be loving in your actions. You can disagree with a person and their choices and still love them graciously at the same time. This is something I think Christians need to really search their heart on. And that is when you see or experience somebody or something or something in the culture that is counter to God's standard, can we still respond with love and still disagree? The answer is yes. So have confidence in God's word. Have confidence in the gospel and bring clarity and live this life with generous grace. Next week, we're going to dive into counterfeit gospels. And I put on Facebook today, it's probably one of the most important messages because I'm going to talk counterfeit gospels next week. Next week's probably one of the most important messages. That's the part I really want to talk to you guys about as we unpack what is truth and what is not. But let's pray today. I'm going to be facing, uh, posting on Facebook a list of books that will help you to unpack some of the things that we talked about today. So if you're not part of the Facebook group, join it. And in the next few days, uh, today or tomorrow, I'm going to be posting these books. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to stand. We're going to worship. We're going to, we're going to take a moment to, to worship with our giving. So if you want to go ahead and get your giving ready, Sean's going to come and pray. we got some announcements. Um, Go ahead and get your giving ready. Thank you for being faithful and serving the kingdom of God together. We're arm in arm, partnering in, in the truth. I'm gonna, before I hand it over to Sean to give some announcements, I want to pray for you. Let's bow our heads. Father, we repent. We change our mind. God, forgive us for not holding true to God's word. God, forgive us for for not just breaking the standard of rule, but God, for ignoring it. God, that's called sin. And thank you, Jesus, that you died for our sin. That's awesome, amazing, life-changing news. God, I pray that you'd burn inside of every follower of Christ in this room, an urgency, a desperation, a deep conviction to tell that news to the world. God, I pray that you'd help us to have confidence in God's word, that it is truly your words that we can trust, that the gospel is very exclusive, but it is very inclusive and its arms are open wide, but its truth is exclusive. God, help us to live lives of grace and mercy in spite of those that disagree with us. If you're here right now and you feel like you need to repent before the Lord, maybe of some ideas or views or maybe the sin of your life, when I say repent, it just means turning from your way, turning to God's way. It's a change of thought. Will you just take a moment just to tell Jesus, God, I was wrong. That's called repentance. God, I was wrong. You were right. I'm changing my outlook on life. I'm going to change my direction on life because, God, I was wrong. You were right. Help me to get in line with your life. Father, you didn't call us to align you with us, but for us to align with you. Dear Jesus. In Jesus' name. I want to say this, something about, there was a verse I was going to share, but I didn't share it. And it's this, is it? someone says, well, you just got to follow your heart. You just got to do what you know is right, what you think is right. Got to follow, let your conscience be your guide. As Jiminy the Cricket once said, he was terribly wrong. 
he was wrong. The Bible says our heart is deceptively wicked above all other things. Who can trust it? And then it goes goes on to say, only I, the Lord, know the heart. See, here's the problem with following your heart. Your heart will lead you astray. It is your heart that leads you men to affairs. It is your heart, women, that lead you down a dark path of depression and seeking somebody else. It is your heart, young people, that will take you to places that you never dreamed you would go. Our heart is not reliable. It is a feeling that changes with how we are feeling at that moment. And we are not to follow our heart. We are not to follow our conscience. We are to follow the will of God. That is the word of God. So we die to ourselves. We die to our heart, our ambitions, our opinions, our dreams, and align them with the truth of God. I want to challenge you. Let Jesus have your heart. Surrender to him and walk in the truth of God. Bring somebody next week that needs to know the truth of God. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.